0: Welcome. You're listening to audio from Haddington Elam Church. We hope that you're encouraged and challenged by this week's message. Last week we were looking at and started the series about Road to the Cross and we looked at the road of suffering and what Jesus endured to be able to go to the cross. And we looked last week about the crowd and that the way they used mob rule to achieve the result that they wanted. There was safety and strength in numbers. Those of you that have ever traveled, if you've traveled in a group, there's a safety, there's a strength in numbers. Then as opposed to being down maybe an alley by yourself, there is a problem with that though if you go along with the crowd. The problem is that in the crowd, that same crowd that you're cheering and shouting with, whatever your cause, can turn on you if you don't continue doing what they would like. If you don't go with the plan that they have, that crowd can turn on you. But today we're going to look at the opposite end of the spectrum of the, of the crowd. We're going to be looking at the lonely road. Jesus walked a lonely road. Sometimes you don't think about that, but the road to the cross was a lonely road. We're looking today and even gonna be thinking about being alone or lonely. Just by a show of hands, how many of you like being alone? Probably half. That's a good, a good percentage. Believe it or not, Being alone is a big fear for some. It actually has a word that they call monophobia. And it is that acute fear of being alone and having to cope without anyone in close proximity. There are people who don't like being alone to where they have a radio on, a television on, just so there's noise, there's background. Elijah was often alone. As many of the prophets you read about in the Bible, many of them were alone. They didn't have the crowd that went with them. They were mostly alone. Jesus was often alone. It's said that he got up to pray early in the morning, usually by himself. And again, there are some people who enjoy being alone. There are tales of monks vowing to live in solitude. Like, uh, did you ever think about Superman, the superhero? He had the fortress of solitude. He was not exactly a welcoming guy. If you remember, he had it deep into the arctic or something he didn't want anyone bothering him he liked his quiet we just drove past holy island yesterday on our way down to bambora and it was interesting there that at holy island that those monks and they wanted to just be alone and people would still come to them there are people that like being alone jesus spent countless hours talking with his father and he would pray as i said often early in the morning sometimes is that quiet time where there's just no outside noise and stuff but he got off Early and would pray. He only did, it says, what the Father led him to do. So he was in communication with Father God. He was never in a hurry or worried. Jesus had a short ministry on earth, three and a half years, and he wasn't in a hurry. He did what the Father told him to do, and it, at the end, he said, It is finished. He accomplished everything that he was to do. He was often misunderstood. Sometimes, if you're misunderstood, can be a lonely road if people don't understand you or don't understand maybe where you're coming from. We get that sometimes. We're from the States and sometimes the vernacular and things are a bit different. My friend uh, Henry says that we're separated by a common language. Uh, They also say that it's lonely at the top. Do you ever hear that? If you work in business and maybe you get further and further up and it's lonely at the top. But Jesus was always in perfect communion with the Father and he was never alone or lonely always had the presence of God with him. In fact, God said this, if you remember at the creation, he said that it is not good for man to be alone. And as a man, I'm thank God that it wasn't good for me to be alone. He blessed me with a wonderful wife. But we're going to start looking at if you have your Bible, your tablet, we have a few verses we're going to be looking at today. But continuing from from Isaiah chapter 53, verse seven, and it says he was oppressed and afflicted. Sometimes we think that Jesus was the, you know, they've even made Jesus Christ superstar. We think he was this superstar and that he was just always applauded. But it says in Isaiah of him that he was oppressed and he was afflicted. It says, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. Remember, as they brought him, the crowd brought him there and they were accusing him of the most vile things and they were screaming at the top of their lungs and shouting. And it says he never opened his mouth. He said not a word, which was even more probably troubling or intriguing than if he would have just said and defended himself. He never asserted his innocence at all their fiery accusations. Even in his death, even taking on the sin of the world, he still never sinned. It wasn't like, you know, he tapped out. This is enough. I, I, I can't do it. He went, he never sinned. He remained faithful despite all the pain and suffering he endured. And it says in verse 10, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. But know this, Jesus was no victim of these circumstances or he was not found at the mercy of political or military power. This was the plan from the foundation of the world. This wasn't just a side thing and now Jesus don't know what's gonna happen and he's caught off guard. This was the plan. This was the ordained work of God prophesied here by Isaiah hundreds of years, 700 some years before it happened. This was God's victory, not Satan's. The only power anyone could have over Jesus is what he himself permitted. This was his victory. See, and I remember being a young teenager, and many of you know, but I was raised in church. And I remember sometimes as I'd read the scriptures and, you know, 12, 13 years old, not being able to understand some of these things. And at that moment, I used to think that it was where Satan demonstrated his power and he finally got Jesus and he killed him. But as I got older, I realized that this was not Satan's victory. This was Jesus and God's plan from the beginning. Continuing on in the second part of verse 10, if he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge of the righteous one. My servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities It's not like Jesus looked back after all this happened and then had regrets. Oh, well, we could have done it this way if, you know, we would have tried this or tried that. He has no regrets. Every bit of suffering and agony was worth it and brought about an acceptable result. This was true love in action, paying once and for all the debt of the sin of each of us. This is it on display. God didn't just talk about it. It wasn't that God just came up with an idea. God put it into action. Paul continues this thought in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and that means anyone, that's all of us, that's all inclusive, anyone is in Christ. He is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Those of you who ever wanna know, if you have a ministry, something you could do, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God, check this out, was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Absolutely fantastic. The father and son were together at the cross. Though Jesus was treated as if he was an enemy of God, he was not. So he was treated the same as we would have been. Remember, he took our place on the cross. He took the pain, the punishment that we were due. He took that. Jesus was punished like he was a sinner. He was not. The suffering of the Son did not please the Father, but it accomplished the work of reconciling the world to himself. It was completely pleasing to God the Father. It was all for our benefit To bring us back in right relationship with God. Friends, there's nothing that we could do to have achieved this. There was nothing that we could have done. Keeping the law couldn't do it. Doing all the right things couldn't do it. But Jesus did it for us. He reconciled the world to himself. See, when sin had entered the world, it separated us from God. And there was a chasm that we could never bridge. And Jesus became that bridge and enabled us to be reconciled or to have a relationship restored with God that we could not have otherwise. And continuing in this lonely road, in the road that Jesus went on, Matthew 20, verse 17. And at the heading of the paragraph, it says, death, resurrection foretold. Sometimes, even if we know things ahead of time, it doesn't make them easier As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves, put the crowd out, put all the others out, and took the 12. And he uh, said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, He will be raised up. This wasn't an afterthought. Jesus knew that this was the very purpose in his coming. So he's telling them ahead of time. Sometimes telling someone ahead of time can help ease that shock, that initial shock that's going to happen. It wasn't until after he had risen from the dead that they remembered his words. Jesus wasn't taken off guard. He even tells them why he's going up to Jerusalem. And in one of the gospels, Peter's like, don't go, don't go. And he says, get out of my way, Satan. You're not doing what God wants. He was never taken off guard. Jesus was fully in control of these events. And sometimes we can forget that. We think this is just the hour, like I said, when I was a teenager, just the hour of Satan's power. He's just in charge. He's doing something. That's not the case at all. Jesus came for this very reason. And in fact, David says this prophetically, Psalm 22, beginning in verse one, and many of you know this. Many of you know Psalm 23 by heart, but in the, the chapter before, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel, And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. You, they cried out and were delivered. They trusted you and were not disappointed. And in verse 11, be not far from me, for trouble is near. He says, for there's none to help me. That lonely road, even in his hour of need. And he says, verse 14, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax and it has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers has encompassed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones, they look, they stare at me, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So, David's describing prophetically a scene of crucifixion. David at that time would have no idea. He wouldn't know anything about crucifixion. That was a Roman thing, hundreds, if not thousands of years later. And yet he's describing the suffering servant, the holy one who was to come. Jesus says this psalm on the cross. And, friends, it was an agonizing death. And continuing in Matthew 26, verse 47. And he says, while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve came up, accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Friends, he and his disciples were praying in the garden. They weren't conspiring. They weren't planning an overthrow of Rome. They were praying. In fact, the disciples, it says, were sleeping. Jesus was praying, yet they come at him with clubs clubs. And swords, and I can imagine probably the torch, you know, like the, the old uh, films where it's like, kill the beast, you know, the whole crowd's coming out with their, with their pitchforks and their things, but they come as a crowd to arrest him. Jesus was no threat. They knew that, but the crowd had already gathered. And that's the thing with the crowd, as I mentioned last week. Once the crowd kind of gets going or they want blood, there's no stopping the crowd. Verse 48 But now he who was betraying him gave them a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? This is absolutely an interesting interaction. So we know in the other gospels, it says Peter took out his sword. I believe that Peter probably wanted to kill the guy. His aim wasn't too good. He was a fisherman. He wasn't a soldier. So maybe just the idea of getting out his sword quickly. Don't know, but it ends up cutting off the guy's ear. But Jesus says this about this was not the time that they were going to fight militarily. He says, put your sword away. It says that he also healed the man's ear. But note this legion that's used here is a military term that was used in the Roman army. A legion depicted a group of at least 6,000 Roman soldiers. One legion would be 6,000 angels. So if you simply do maths, multiply that out, you'd discover that it would be 12 legions of angels or 72,000 angels. But note this, one angel in one night killed 185,000 men. In fact, every time anyone in Scripture sees an angel, it says they fall on the floor as though dead. Their knees are knocking, they're shaking, the fear seizes them. In fact, many times the angel has to pick them up and it says sometimes give them strength. They can't even stand in the presence of one angel. And Jesus says, don't you know, if I asked my Father, He would send me legions of angels? If it was going to be a fight, if it was going to be this way, I could ask my Father to do this. But here's the verse I want us to to look at as well. The next one, verse 54. And this one just gripped me all week. He says, but how then will the scriptures be fulfilled, which say that it must happen this way? See, if Jesus was going to be the ruler and the overthrower, this was the moment. Could have called, even he could have called one angel down. He could have done one thing, and that could have been everyone just finished with questioning who he was. And he says, but then how would the scriptures be fulfilled? See, Jesus fulfilled every prophecy, every scripture that was prophesied about him. He fulfilled them all. In fact, mathematically, the the, the chances of that happening is astronomical, that one person could fulfill all of those prophecies. But he says, how would they be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Jesus and I, I know that he didn't, but here was where maybe temptation could have come in that he could have diverted from his path. Maybe instead of he's looking at that cross or he's seeing the pain and he could have gone a different way and he doesn't. He stays on the, on the plan that God put in place. And this verse is exceptionally amazing. This was the father's plan fulfilled completely in the son. All power is at his disposal. Think about that. Jesus was in total command. And again, he was not the victim of circumstance. It wasn't that this Roman army or these religious leaders were just too powerful. He was completely in control and he did it to fulfill all scripture. He did it all to be fulfilled for us. And continuing on, at that time, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching And you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then none of the disciples left him and fled. No, it says all of them. Remember, Peter, I won't deny you, even if everyone else falls away. Jesus, I'll stick by your side. It says all the disciples left him and fled. They all scattered. They all ran for their own safety. Because if they're arresting him, I might be next. It says, Peter and John followed at a safe distance just to see what would happen. But none of them stood beside him in his hour of need. And as I was saying at the beginning, this is a lonely road that Jesus walked. He went to the cross. Jesus had said to them, all of you will fall away because of me. And they all denied it. Even if everyone else, Peter said, even if everyone else, not me, And Jesus says, before the rooster will even crow three times, you'll deny me. Matthew Poole says this. We never know our hearts upon the prospect of great trials until we come to grapple with them and to be engaged in them. These disciples had all they had all said they would not forsake him, but when it comes to the push, not one of them stands by him. The road to the cross was painful. And even as we were going through the power of the cross, the song, it was a painful death. This wasn't just a quick guillotine, it's finished. This was to make people suffer for as long as possible. And he did that for you and he did that for me. Jesus knows what it's like to be lonely. He has gone through pain and suffering and can help us make it through. Those of you maybe today am just looking at that could be feeling lonely or feeling alone. Do you know what's weird with with loneliness is that you can actually be in a crowd of people and still feel alone. You know, it says Jesus suffered in every way that we did. He's gone through those things and he knows how we feel. Maybe you're the only Christian in your workplace. You don't have anyone that you can share your faith with or just talk about things of the Bible. Maybe you're the only Christian there and it's lonely. Maybe you're the only Christian in your school. Maybe the only Christian in your family. Sometimes those can be a challenging place to be as well. Maybe the lockdown has left you feeling isolated and alone. And through this lockdown, we could have been feeling isolated. Some people, even when church could resume, they didn't feel comfortable to be back within a group. I just want you to be encouraged today. I'm not taking like a downturn on this. I want you to be encouraged because he has gone through all the things like us. And if we feel that way, we bring it to him. We know that he is... Can can empathize with us. He's he's been that way. It says that our Lord was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Do you ever think about that when Isaiah says that? A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We think maybe that Jesus was just always laughing or or but it says that he was acquainted with grief. I want to tell you today, if you feel this way, that you are never alone. He said you'll never leave us nor forsake us. You're never alone. You're never forgotten. And sometimes in life, we can feel like we are forgotten, that God don't remember our name, that we can feel forgotten. And friends, you're never abandoned. Jesus knows what it was like to be abandoned. Jesus knows what it was like to be betrayed, even by very, very close one of the 12, and he was betrayed with a kiss. He even knows what that was like. All his followers left him alone and abandoned. He had no one stand by him in his desperate hour of need. But it says he sits now at the right hand of the Father, mediating for us, reconciling us back to God. And I just wanna leave you with two verses. If you've ever felt betrayed, if you've ever felt lonely, if you've ever felt brokenhearted, two verses out of Psalms thirty-four eighteen: the Lord is nearer to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And in Psalm 147, three, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Friends, he's close to us. It says in Proverbs, there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And like I said, sometimes in life, it's a lonely road. Misunderstood, can feel betrayed, abandoned by those that maybe we trusted. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week for another inspirational message. If you're in the East Lothian area, visit us online at haddingtonelamchurch.com for information about how you can join us for our weekly Sunday services.